WTOP huddle along with Rob Woodford, Chris Chian, George Wallace, Dave Preston. Oh, so much to, to talk about. Yes, of course, uh, March Madness. And you know what? I, I want to start first with the, the Maryland women part of the March Madness because we already witnessed their first round win over Mount St. Mary's 98-45. I'm going to go ahead and call it that they're going to win it all this year. I've always believed they were going to get another title because it's incredible under Brenda Freeze. And I, I'm not just getting into a cheerleader mode or a bandwagon mode, but I've always believed there's a more there's another title in that Maryland program of Brenda Freeze. And this year seems to be the year because, oh, by the way, they play defense too. Dave Preston, I'll start with you. But, yeah, it's one thing to score almost 100 points. But, by the way, it's not easy to score against them. And it's, it's very difficult to find the right mix of players. Uh, in the last 15 years, Brenda Freeze has had a, an amazing collection of talent uh, there. But uh, it feels like this team is really playing for one another, uh, sharing the basketball and the offensive end. They're one of the top teams in the nation at a assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, they lead the nation in scoring offense. But then you look at a game like Mount St. Mary's where they hold the Mountaineers, I think, to 23% shooting and really handcuff them. They, they, and it's not just against the Mount St. Mary's that they've been able to do that. They've been able to do that the entire Big Ten season. Question is, in a winter where there's not a lot of cross-pollination as far as teams playing other schools and other conferences, can they do this moving forward? I think they can. I, I think they can at least get to the regional round. Once you get to that level, it's going to be a little bit tougher, but there's no reason not to think that this team might uh, not be making their first Final Four trip since 2015. Yeah, again, they're just getting an Angel Reese back from injury, a freshman who was averaging uh, 17 points a game. Who wants to jump in? Other observations about this Maryland women team? I mean, it's always impressive when you can win a game by more points than you allowed. And it seems like these Maryland women feels like they do that pretty often, actually, when they're going up against the lesser competition. And that is really the hallmark of a champion right there is when you dispatch of the the lesser teams and no disrespect to Mount St. Mary's. It was great for them to get to that tournament, but as a 15 seed, they shouldn't be hanging around in that game. And so the Terps don't, don't let you hang around when they are decidedly better than you. And that to your point, Dave is, is, uh, is truly the hallmark of a champion. So they're, they're, they're very impressive. Um, it, it's always a little tougher when you go up against the, um, South Carolinas of the world and the Yukons of the world. And those are really the only peers that they have uh, in, in, uh, in, in college basketball. So um, once they get to that stage, that's when things really get interesting for me. I think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to be in the sweet 16 and beyond. Oh, indeed. And, and what excites me, it's not just one player. I mean, everyone scores, everybody passes. It, it's just a, a fun brand of basketball. All right. You know, we've been talking about uh, the, the men's tournament and a great run, first of all, by Maryland and what they accomplished that went over, uh, Connecticut. And I think Mark Turgeon said it best that he had the type of team that could match up against some teams and, oh yeah, couldn't match up against Alabama. You're not going to beat teams that make 16 threes, but full credit to the Maryland men also for the run they had. Having said that, we'll start with you, Christian. Uh, is your bracket, how many brackets have you gone through? Where are we left now as we get to the Sweet 16 on the men's side? <laughs> Uh, I'm near the top because I did predict Oral Roberts to beat Ohio State. Uh, and uh, Look at this guy. Yep. Look at this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is what I do. Ball is life for me, guys, as you know. I don't really like a lot of these shows that are on television. I just watch sports. So I got to know the squads a little bit. Um, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, I mean, I, even I'm blown away, though, by the amount of upsets we're seeing. We're seeing an Oregon State team. <laughs> who was on nobody's radar catching fire, winning the Pac-12, 
knocking off these Goliaths. And now they're in this basically situation where they're getting seven points uh, against the Loyola Chicago team that, I mean, beat Illinois, the top seed. So it's been a really fun tournament. Something, Dave, that you said that stands out, you know, a, a great run for Maryland. Uh, I look at it as another run where they fall short of the Sweet 16. I mean, they have to decide, and this opinion has been shared, but but what team do you want to be? We're content winning the Big Ten, but not having a good enough roster to score 96 points like Alabama did, um, and we're okay with Mark Turgeon and what he's done for us, or we want to go and see what we can do better. I think the t- uh, program should explore another head coach, I, I know we've had this discussion how many times about, you know, uh, is, is, is fixing the head coach, the, the end-all, be-all, the, the thing that solves the problems. Um, in this case, I think Mark Turgeon's kind of been there long enough, right? Well, I mean, no, I think the counter to that would be uh, clearly uh, you didn't expect this team necessarily to get the NCAA tournament. They did. Right. Clearly, I, I think he did an amazing coaching job uh, against Connecticut. And also uh, in, in talking with, with Johnny Holiday the other day, uh, it's, it's not been a program where you're going to get the, it's not Duke where, although Duke's not in the tournament this year, where you get uh, to that uh, top level every year, but uh, he's got some good recruits coming in. And, and I think there was enough of a statement in a difficult year that there's something about this guy that he gets, gets kids to believe in him and, and play for him. That's just my take. And I admittedly don't cover them as closely because I'm busy with an NBA team, but that, that's just what I saw from the, afar. The, 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 only push, the only pushback I would have on that, though, is if, I mean, you knew going in Alabama is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. So if, if even if you just concede defeat on that, at least get the rebounds. What killed them was the second chance points. They made half of their shots, and then the other half they were getting second chances on. So that was the thing. Pick something that you're going to stop. If you're not going to stop the three, and if you're just going to concede defeat on that, then at least beat them on the boards. And they got out, they got killed on the glass. I think it was like 40 to 19. They got out rebounded. I'm pretty sure they had as many offensive rebounds as the Terps had total rebounds. So I, I just would like to have seen them at, at least do something well defensively in that. Well, game. Uh, but I think uh, the big thing that uh, comes out of this first weekend is that the Big Ten may have been a little overseeded here and there. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the women's tournament, when uh, when you only play games within your league for the most part and your few non-conference games are against local schools, you don't get a true test of how good or bad a league is. And I think the books were cooked on how good the Big Ten was. They had three or four teams in the top ten. Michigan is the only team still around. Meanwhile, you've got the Pac-12 that has four teams in the sweet 16 ACC has two schools in the sweet 16 need both of them are new money. Good. You've got Florida state. They've only been in the league for almost 30 years and Syracuse. They're not even in the South. So I, I think the, the first weekend you saw, I think a Loyola of Chicago was underseated. I don't think that they were deserving of an eight seed. Uh, and, and they were, they were in the top 25 of the AP at the end of the regular season, which means they should have been seated fifth, sixth at the lowest. And it was an unfortunate matchup for Illinois that I thought was playing as well as anyone was in the country the last couple of weeks and just a bad match matchup for them. The big 10 though, looks unless Michigan is able to get things done, the big 10's drought. They have not had a national champions uh, since the year 2000 will continue uh, unless somehow uh, Juwan Howard's uh, crew can get things done. 
All right, George Wallace, we need some wisdom. You've had your hands uh, clasped, folded, <laughs> listening to all this uh, this chaos. By the way, we also want to go forward and sort out the Sweet 16. Uh, give us those wisdom uh, that you can offer in the show. Well, it, first of all, just getting back from Indy, I, I want to say about the, just real quick about how the tournament, how they're handling things in Indianapolis. I'm very impressed. I know the NCAA takes a lot of heat for things, but the way that they have these venues and protocols, and I know players haven't been able to leave hotels. We talked to coaches that have been in their hotel room for two weeks. And just that is another thing that these teams have to overcome in this tournament. And the way they have it spread out, they go from venue to venue, practicing at a convention center, not even seeing a venue before they play. Uh, we are talking to Scott Drew the other day, and he said that going into Hinkle to play the other day, he goes, neither team had been in there to even shoot. So that's another thing, challenge that these teams have to overcome uh, during this tournament. And talking about teams, I saw, got to see Loyola up close to Chicago, Sister Jean in the house. I tell you, it's just a whole nother aura that she's got uh, just riding around in that wheelchair. Uh, and Baylor, I tell you what, Baylor, Baylor's a fun team to watch. Uh, Scott Drew's got those guys playing some some good hoops. Although Alabama last night, I tell you, I know Mark said, Turgeon said that they're like the, the fifth number one team, and they looked like it last night. And I know a lot of things about tournament you guys just touched on is about matchups and, you know, it wasn't Illinois to play a Loyola, the seated the way they were, but it's about matchups and who gets hot. I mean, I'll be honest, not, not many teams are going to beat Alabama last night. It wasn't a coaching thing for me last night from Mark Turgeon. I know he takes a lot of heat. I'm with Dave. I give him a lot of credit for this year. Um, but, you know, for what they were had to overcome, pick between 10th and 12th, and nobody listed in any of the preseason honors. And then, you know, Marcel wins defensive, and you have two honor ball mentioned. So I give him credit for this year. Moving forward, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but it's again, it's one of those be careful what you wish for. Yeah, okay, if you get rid of the guy, who's, who's next? Because, you know, one sweet 16 in 18 years is, you know, as a Maryland guy, as, a, as from what we came to expect, you have to, you have to expect more. I mean, you, you have to. If you want to be that next year program, you have to expect. And I know he's been in the tournament five of the last six years, and last year was taken away from us, but it was taken away from everybody. So it's a big decision coming up here. But I think Maryland should expect more. Um, but I give Mark credit for for this season. I do. Oh, indeed. All right. I think one, one last thing on uh, Mark Turgeon and his situation there. Um, you know, I think if, if you're a Maryland, and I'm, I'm not an alum, I'm not, not a booster, but if, but if you're a Maryland guy, uh, you've got to, they're, they're at a level, are they a final four team every year? No, but you think they should be a school that once every four years should get to Saturday in the big 10 tournament. That means the semifinals. Maryland hasn't been there since I think 2015, their second year in the league or 2016. I think uh, they, they should also be a program that should expect to get to the second weekend once every four or five years, as George mentions, they've gotten there once, but be careful what you wish for uh, 10 years ago, uh, actually 11 years ago, they brought in Randy Edsel who said, you know what? This team just goes eight and four, seven and five. We're not going to go eight and four, seven and five this year. They went two and 10. Yeah, we're going to go three and 11. Yo. <laughs> All right. And this is just proof that this show is not scripted because talking no. about Mark Turgeon was not even one of our pre-show topics. Like Steve <laughs> Chris, we pivoted and we turned and, and, and that's the beauty of the show. And that's, that's a couple That's what you do in the huddle. You call audibles. That's we right. We call audibles. We call audibles. <laughs> so, and, and that's why I don't write anything down because we don't know where we're going with this. All right. Omaha. Let's, let's, let's close. Yeah. Omaha. Let's close the, the sweet 16. Does anybody, <clears throat> does anybody predict a winner at this point? Go ahead. Jump in. Who, who's why well, try. I set my bracket on fire. Right. So you don't know yet. You don't know yet. You don't, you don't have a gut feeling. 
I mean, uh, Gonzaga was my preseason. I mean, preseason, but that, that's who I picked as the champion beforehand. I mean, they're the only one seed that you really feel any real confidence in at this point. So uh, I, I have no reason to come off that because, quite frankly, that might be the only thing that I got right so far in terms of my bracket. Chris? I've got Gonzaga beating uh, Illinois, and obviously the, the Illini are gone. Texas and Baylor were my other two uh, final four picks. Baylor's still around. George uh, was saying that you know, they're fun to watch. I think they benefit by being a little bit under the radar, meaning they're not unbeaten. They haven't been number one coast to coast, but they have dominated their league, at least until they were out for two weeks due to the COVID protocols. They look like that team again. I see them and they have a busted bracket that they have to get through. So I, I, I see them perhaps when it, it, if it's not Gonzaga, I see it being Baylor. But how about Syracuse getting to the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed? Uh, Buddy Buckets. Syracuse going at it. Heck of a run by the Orange. Uh, it, but this is what March is about. Just seeing the, the teams the second weekend, seeing who emerges from the ashes. It, it's it's great theater, guys. But I want had to- Syracuse the first night their first matchup and and buddy was he was just doing he was going Steph Curry I mean he was yeah. pulling up turning away walking I mean shooting sideways I mean you talk about fun to watch and unconscious the shooter I mean he's the first uh first Syracuse player since the 1950s to have back-to-back 25 point performances yeah uh, in in uh, to start the tournament that's just crazy Chris I would just add that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of crushing Turgeon here a little bit, but on the flip side of that, has there been a more impressive coaching job than Jay Wright at Villanova? Uh, a lot of people's sexy uh, first-round pick to be an upset Winthrop over Villanova. Wildcats win by double digits. Then they play a North Texas team that looked good in the first round and uh, roll them as well. So I just think Villanova is a team that overcame the Colin uh, Gillespie injury and – is representing a Big East conference that, um, you know, just kind of like the Big Ten, disappointing, I guess, and kind of has been over the the past couple of years as far as tournament showings, but not Villanova, never. They're just an outstanding program and a model for other college basketball teams. And and I'll uh, make a lot of Maryland fans mad, but uh, I've got to admit I'm pulling a little bit from Michigan now because uh, uh, my relationship with Juwan Howard dating back to his Wizards days, and I I think he is another coach like a, a Patrick Ewing Give him full credit. I mean, Jawan Howard did not get that Michigan job because he's a Michigan alum and helped. Surely wanted him because he paid his dues. And he worked for Pat Riley with the Miami Heat. And let me tell you something. If you're working for Pat Riley with the Miami Heat, you're going to work. And you're going to go over hours and hours of video. He worked really hard to get that uh, chance with with Michigan. So uh, there's a certain sense of pride as, as I see him have success with uh, Michigan. And again, it's a great stat why we can predict whoever we want this week because we can change our minds next week because the total of the seeds in the Sweet 16 is like 94. If you add up the total number, and that's the highest ever. So it's just off the charts and we should probably- And also also to your point, Dave, about Jawan Howard, the NBA should be ashamed (laughs) of itself for seeing, you look at what Jawan Howard is doing at Michigan. You look at what Patrick Ewing is doing at Georgetown. Uh, Those guys were in the NBA- there's no reason why they shouldn't be there today. Oh, no, no, no argument. Speaking of not appreciating enough, and we'll now go around the, the table and just whatever is on your mind. And, and I just want to say that I hope we do continue to appreciate Elgin Baylor. Uh, we lost him this week at the, at the age of 86. I remember 1992 preparing for an interview with him when I worked at USA Today. And, and 
uh, I remember doing the research. I'm like, wow, are you kidding me? This is this is what he did because, look, I, my early remembrances of of a breakout star was a Dr. J or, or something that I'd never seen before. He was a video game before there were video games. He was hang time before there was hang time. As Thomas Boswell so eloquently said in the Washington Post, every move that everybody's trying today, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, whatever, you go down the line, Elgin Baylor did back in the 60s. And oh, by the way, that's when hard fouls were not fouls. And he did it as a 6'5 forward, averaged 34 points and 19 rebounds. As a 6'5 forward, averaged 13 rebounds for his career. He is from DC. We should take a lot of pride in that. And we should continue to uh, appreciate uh, Elgin Baylor because uh, sadly he played before a time when everything was recorded on video and we can't just keep going to YouTube. And that's, that's the problem right there is that we have a recency bias when we talk about the greatest players to ever play the game. That, that whole debate centers on Michael Jordan and centers on LeBron James. And the, obviously those guys are, are ridiculous. But when you talk about everything that those guys have done, Elgin Baylor did that stuff first. And so the fact that he started at, and, and he started in our backyard, I think even on a local level, we don't talk enough about Elgin Baylor because he was the first black player to be on the all Met team back in the 1950s. He's a guy that went to the NBA a little later than we were used to his first season. He was 24 years old. Served so, in the army served in the army. Right. And, and, and Dave, and that's, and that's the thing I was just about to say in uh, the 1961, 62 season, he only played 48 games because he was only playing on weekends. He was in the army. He was serving his country and was only playing games on weekends. And yet and still, he averaged 44 minutes a game, averaged a career best 38 points per game, and averaged 18 rebounds per game as a 6'5 small forward. That is mind-boggling to me that he's able to do that basically as a part-time player. So just if you look at the numbers, just the numbers, you take into account the era. And a lot of people discount guys who don't have rings when we talk about the greatest players of all time. But he played in an era where the Celtics won it every year. They were the super team before there was super teams. They had Hall of Famers coming off the bench. So and, and Dave, you and I were talking about this earlier. There were only 12 teams in the league versus 30 now. So, you know, so any every game you played was uh, at a higher level of competition and so forth. You didn't have cakewalk games like you do in the NBA now. So he played in he put up unbelievable numbers in an era in which, you know, that 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 wasn't easy to do. And I feel like more people need to do their homework when we talk about the greatest players of all time, because I don't know how Elgin Baylor isn't in your top 10. And he accomplished everything I, back when flagrant fouls were common fouls. So <laughs> I think what, what, what's amazing about Elgin Baylor is that you, you look at him, not just the numbers and, and the stats are just off the chart, incredible, but being the first player who really took the game above the rim. Uh, the late John Thompson said that when you look at the top players to come out of DC, Elgin Baylor's one through five, and then maybe you discuss who's, who's sixth. He, he transcends an era. He played for the Minneapolis and the Los Angeles Lakers. He was one of the first African-American head coaches. He was with the uh, New Orleans Jazz. He was one of the first uh, African-American general managers. He was, he was with the Clippers for a long time, and a lot of people saw him as a punchline. But it was a, it, it was a job that uh, you know, he did to the best of his ability and for a very, very, very bad owner uh, with the L.A. Clippers. 
He, uh, he played a 21st century game while playing in a world that was still governed by the 19th century. He played in a segregated Washington, D.C., where his, his highlights and his scores were not reported in the papers you know, nearly enough, where he was given the, the short end of the stick more often than not. He played for a very good Lakers team, and his knees betrayed him at the very end. He retires. They go on to win the NBA championship that year. So there was, you know, you, you look at his life and his career, um, just a, an incredible life, a, a guy who soared over the rim uh, on, on the court and a guy who really soared over uh, a lot of experiences too. And, and, and just uh, a, a, an incredible person. And, and you look, nobody had anything bad to say about him either. So, uh, you know, a, a, a fantastic person. Uh, from all we know, and, uh, you know, rest in peace, Elgin Baylor. Well, good. I mentioned that one interview I, I had. You walk away realizing what a, a class individual he is, but also uh, you walk away, and, and I think we all have people you meet in your life where you realize, you know what, I, I can be better. I can be better in a lot of ways because he just strikes you uh, with that kind of power and, and aura of, of just that, you know, he's on a, on a different level, both both on and off the court. Guys, that, rep, rep, that quote, no, I say that quote from John Thompson. I remember reading that was when he says, as far as the area one through five, and then you start discussing. I mean, that's a pretty, yeah, pretty telling yeah, quote. I mean, we've got a lot of great ball yeah. players that have come out. And of for here. for him to say it, you know, yeah. Guys, Chris, what else on your mind this week as we wrap up? Uh, what What's crazy is that uh, this past Saturday night. In the midst of all the tournament uh, chaos and, and games being played, uh, the Washington Capitals finally lost a game to the New York Rangers. And something that struck me is Alex Ovechkin essentially saying that he, you know, has battled through some injuries this season. And he's, I think, said something like, I'm 55, making a joke, I'm getting older. But I think it would be all right. This is a 20-7 and seven team. Um, second in their division, going to be making the playoffs here. If he's got to take these little maintenance days here and there, I'm all right with it, especially when you've got a series upcoming with New Jersey, who is a team that you have dominated pretty much all year. So I think the Capitals really looking good, about to make their stretch run, and uh, along with Tampa Bay and Florida, um, should be in the conversation for maybe making the Stanley Cup Finals this year. And we'll let you have that conversation with Alex Ovechkin about sitting down for a day. Yeah. <laughs> Let's say, who's going to tell him? Who's yeah, going right. to tell him that? Not me. I'm not drawing that straw. No. George, closing thoughts, I think? Uh, yeah, I just, you know, we've talked about a lot, but I think, uh, and it's it's kind of the under the radar kind of offseason our uh, football team is having. I mean, the signing Curtis Samuel, I think, is a pretty big deal. You look at some of these additions, re-signing, and the guys that they have walked, Darby, let him walk, fine. You're not going to pay him that much money. Uh, you know, Alex Smith, of course. Um, and uh, who, who else just left on the defense? I'm losing it. Uh, well, they just got uh, Jackson, so you know who else? Who else? Uh, Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson today, yeah. So you know another second round bust draft pick. But um, you know I think kind of you know under the radar, good off season so far for uh, Ron Rivera's squad. Quickly, yeah. Feels like sanity. At yeah, I yeah. feel like I feel like somebody on this show said, "Look out for Curtis Samuel," uh, last week. Who said that? I, I think, think it was me. I think. I think it was no, no. The record stands. It's on video. It's on video. We have it. So, Rob, you're well, probably. All I hear you saying is Cam Newton. So that's yeah, all I hear. <laughs> well, we still don't have Cam I'll, Newton. I'll bring that out next week. But you said Curtis Samuel, and you like that. 
No, I like it. No, no, I like it a lot. I mean, because if, if you look at what Washington's doing with their offense right now, they have all of these versatile chess pieces. So they mm -hmm. have receivers who can run. They have runners who can, uh, you know, catch out of the backfield. You know, they have basically everybody on the offensive line can play multiple positions. So I like what they're doing. I just hope they have the right trigger, man, because at the end of the day, it, it, it's great to have all of those weapons, but it, it still doesn't work if you don't have the right guy under center. And, uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I mean, you know, I think we touched on this quite a bit last week. The guy puts up numbers, but uh, he's going to have to be consistent. And to ask a 38-year-old quarterback at this phase of his career to be something more than what he's demonstrated himself to be over the course of his career, um, that's a bit of a tough ask. But, I mean, if the, the last five years, though, he has been a productive player. And if he can play at that level, this should still be a team that can competes and contends for a division title. And, and it helps you put, you know, the, the lot we talk about, well, you know, the weapons around him. I mean, you know, McLaurin to get, you needed that receiver to go with McLaurin. I think that's a right. huge get this offseason. I mean, they know each other real well, obviously play together. So that's a huge get, I think. I think that's going to help a lot. Absolutely. Right. Now, the, the thing for me, though, is the offensive line, because you still have yeah. a lot of question marks on that left side of the offensive line. If they could shore that up, then I, I might actually let myself get excited about them this year. And not to wow. oversimplify football, <laughs> but it is always about the offensive line. I, yeah. I don't mean that in it. You can put all the sports cars in the backfield and, and, and out yeah. wide, but unless the quarterback yeah, ask, has not, ask Philadelphia about that. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, we've run out of time. Now, this is recorded on video, but the good thing is we're not accountable for anything we said on this week's W Field. Right. Oh, well, Rob will let us know if we said so, if he says something. I will, Don't worry. I will, I will edit it out. <laughs> Transcripts available in the WTLP gift shop. As always, we appreciate Dave Preston, Christian, Rob Woodford, George Wallace, and you for watching the WTLP huddle. Break.